Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, Wes. I'm tired. I'm weary. I could use some rest. I've heard those statements and statements like those more in the last six to 12 months than any other time in pastoral ministry. We're all experienced this sense of weariness because the world is exhausting. I saw this even in my small group this week as we were fellowshipping, I realized apart from one other gal in our small group that Angie and I were the only people in our small group uh, that either hadn't been to Florida in the last month, weren't currently in Florida, or weren't planning on going to Florida by spring break. Everyone in my small group And I know there are a number of others. Like, everyday life is exhausting. And the pursuit of rest seems to be perpetually elusive. I don't know about you, but it always seems like when I get that great night's sleep, that that comes right before the day that just takes me out, and then a string of sleepless nights after that. Or you go on that vacation, and I'm praying for those who are going to Florida that they don't have this experience, but you go on that vacation, and it just doesn't deliver in the way that you want because you get in a conflict with somebody, or your flight gets canceled or delayed, or you're sitting next to someone on the flight that just won't let you rest. Or when you return, just the wall of craziness hits you, and it's, it's like you never even went on vacation before. 
We, we are bombarded. And our text this morning doesn't, doesn't offer us how to get a good night's sleep, doesn't offer seven easy steps to have a restful vacation. No, this text this morning helps us understand what rest is and how we can obtain it because Jesus offers us a greater rest. Jesus offers us a greater rest. That's the overarching theme of of this particular passage that we're going to be in this morning. So how do I get this rest? Because we all want that rest. How do I get this rest? Well, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, while the promises of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were united by faith and with those who listen. So what does that have to do with rest? Because it says in verse three, for we have believed, we who have believed enter that rest. But God says, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So those who believed enter the rest. Those who did not believe did not enter the rest. Belief and trust are needed to acquire this rest that's talked about in this passage, that's talked about in scripture. Belief and trust is required. As just a little bit of a review, as we studied last week, remember we we were in our Old Testament a lot last week. We talked about the people of God, how they entered into the promised land, how they didn't believe God, and they didn't end up going, uh, actually as they entered into the wilderness, they didn't go into the promised land, they didn't get the rest that they wanted because they didn't believe God. And so right out of the gate, as we even talk about rest, there's a a warning here, there's something for us to be aware of, that belief is not just enough. Seeing it, hearing it is not just enough. Remember, the people of God, they saw God part the waters of the Red Sea for them to walk through. They saw God bring water out of a rock. I'm not talking about like when you go and you might find a a national park and there's this spring coming out of what looks like rocks. It's a naturally fed spring. No, I'm talking about like a rock like a boulder that you might find along the shore that's put there and a staff struck it and water comes out of the rock. They saw that happen when they were thirsty. They saw bread, manna coming down from heaven that was sweet of taste. They saw quail come out and and feed them because they were hungry. They saw it. They even had a message preached to them. They had a message of salvation, a gospel message. The faithful saints, Joshua and Caleb, when they went into the promised land, they went there for 40 days with 10 other men. They spied out the land. And when they came back, Joshua and Caleb said, hey, we looked at these large pagan warriors and God is going to help us and taking this land is going to be a piece of cake. They heard that message, but hearing the message is insufficient for salvation. It's insufficient for us to enter this rest just to hear it because they heard the message. Hearing it is not enough. So even before we talk about what is rest, what is this rest that it's talking about? We have to understand we've got to do something with this truth that we're going to learn. 
Because the people of God saw miraculous things and they did not enter rest. So being present here, listening to this message, coming here on a Sunday morning, week after week after week, does not ensure that you are going to enter the rest that God has promised us. We must do something with it. We must trust. So hearing it's not enough. We must trust. Trust is needed for salvation. It says they weren't united in verse 1. They were not united by faith. We who have believed enter the rest. That's what it says in verse 3. Rest comes from taking up our cross and following Jesus. We must do something with it. The great Blondin, you may have heard of him, he was a tightrope walker, and he would walk across, you know, between two buildings and, and crazy things, and he once said, hey, do you believe that I could carry a man across, either put him in a wheelbar or carry him? Do you believe I could do that? And everybody's like, yes, you can do that. Okay, which of you wants to go with me? They would acknowledge it with their mouth, but until they took that step to actually believe, to put their faith in action, it, it, they just heard a message. The call in verse 1 Therefore, looking back to what happened, be reminded of what happened with the saints of old and let us fear lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach it. Let's, let's not be like them. Let's believe God. Because our experience of rest, brothers and sisters, is proportionate to our trusting in him. Our experience of rest is proportionate to how much we trust in him. It's not by the number of days we are on vacation. It's not by the number of hours that we get sleeping horizontally in our bed. It's not by the uh, number of Bible verses that we study or the amount of time that we spend in prayer our experience of rest is proportionate to trusting in him. So belief and trust are needed to acquire God's rest. So, but what is this rest that's being talked about? So we must put it into action. What is it talking about? And this is the nature of God's rest. Because we can often miss this because we hear in verse 3, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What? What is this rest that is being talked about here? Because it says my rest. So God is saying, God is saying this is being quoted from Psalm 95. They shall not enter my rest. What is God's rest? Well, I can tell you this. God's rest is not a nap or going on vacation. God's rest is not a stress-free life. Because we know Jesus said in John 16, in the world, you will have tribulation. So if we can expect that we're going to have tribulation, how do, how do we get rest if we're expecting tribulation? We get rest. We can have rest because, because it's his rest. What is his rest that he offers us? Well, his rest 
is something that was established at the beginning. So leave your, leave your hands here in, in Hebrews and flip all the way back to the beginning of your Bibles in Genesis chapter 1. Here's something interesting as we, we come to God's, God's rest. Because in verse 4, you know, it talks about God rested on the seventh day from all his work. So as we know from Genesis 1, each day of creation, right? Uh, we had all the things, there's darkness over the face of the deep, and God created light, and then at the end of the first day, it says well, there was evening and there was morning the first day, right? And then he goes on and he creates more, second day, and there's evening and there's morning, day two, second day, verse 13, evening, morning, third day. So creation goes on each time. It says there's evening and there's morning, and then that's the fifth day, and then the sixth day. But then, as we come to Genesis chapter two, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. There's no, and there was evening and there was morning, day seven. It, it was done. It was done and, and, and God rested. God, God didn't rest because he was exhausted, right? God is infinitely powerful. He doesn't need a nap. He doesn't need a good night's sleep. But he, he finished. His, his work was done. So this Sabbath rest continues on and on. You know how when you finish a project or finish a paper, let's just assume it's a paper that you wrote that you think is amazing, not the ones that you finished and you're like, I hope I don't fail it. Like the ones where you're like, yes, this is awesome. I'm done. I worked hard. Or when you finish a project around the house, you're like, oh, it's finally done. I had friends in Illinois that the husband and wife used to argue over mowing the grass. Why did they argue over mowing the grass? Because it was the only thing they seemed that they could do when they were done. It just was pleasurable because it was done. Look, the, the lawn is done. And there's this, ah, oh, it's, it's done. At the end of creation, the week of creation, that experience of it being done, is the rest of God. It's, it's, it's done. There's, there's no more that has to be done. And God invites us to enter into that rest. But that rest isn't just that it's finished and completed, but this rest is something that God enjoys. It's, it's his completion of his created work. It, it, it means that he's finished the work of creation and his reign is one of rest. His ongoing reign is one of rest. He sits on the throne with absolute supremacy over all things. 
unquestionable sovereignty over all things. Isaiah 46 says this, says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. God's so powerful, he carries out his rule from a place of rest. He's not constantly like looking over his shoulder. Every leader in all of human history is constantly looking over his shoulder. Is someone going to take me out because they want my throne? Is someone going to try to get me not elected the next time? Uh, Or, you know, uh, maybe I'm going to be gone and someone else is going to take over this kingdom. God doesn't have that ever. There's, there's a rest that's there. Nothing is upending his apple cart. Nothing that happens throughout our days. And God shares his rest with us. And that rest is always accessible because God rested on the seventh day from all his works. It's always accessible. But one thing we need to note is God's rest, for him, his rest is a working rest. And we're kind of like, wait a second, I don't get that. I'm either working or I'm resting. I don't, I don't do both of those things. I mean, some of you workaholics, you think that you're resting and everybody else knows you're working, right? But God's rest it, for him, it is. It's not, it's, it's not about his activity. It's about his predisposition of the fact he's sovereign over all things. I mean, Jesus said this in John 5, 17. He said, my father is working until now and I am working. That doesn't sound like a God who's resting, but it is a God who has, he's, he's rested. That's con- continued. He's not, he's not freaking out about things. Now we are different than God. I hope that's not shocking to you. We're different than God. We are not God. Lest you think you're God, turn to your neighbor and say, you're not God. Hopefully you don't feel the need to tell your spouse that again, but, or your sibling, we aren't God. So when we talk about Sabbath rest, when we actually take a Sabbath rest, we are acknowledging that he is God and we are not. Having a Sabbath rest. I know Jesus fulfilled the law, right? When Jesus came, he fulfilled the whole law. So does that mean we must not do anything on a Sunday or for some on the Saturday? Must we do no work whatsoever? I know Jesus fulfilled the law that it's not about a day. But if we understand that he is God and we're not, sometimes for us to experience that rest, we must pause and have a Sabbath rest and acknowledge him. It looks like something, a consistent day off of some kind, scheduled time to refresh your soul. 
Ask yourself this question. If someone looking from the outside evaluated my schedule, would they see me consistently expressing my dependence upon the living God? So not just a day. If someone looked at your schedule, would they say, yeah, that's someone who is expressing their dependence on the living God. God doesn't have to be dependent on anyone. But we have to be dependent. And the world is pushing back against this. Parcel companies that send packages used to only send them five days a week and maybe the post office would deliver on Saturday. Now they're like, every, you can order something on Saturday and you can get it on Sunday. What does that remind me of? That reminds me of Egypt. That reminds me of when the people of God were constantly working day after day, just constantly afflicted in bondage. The world wants us to go back to a time of no rest and we feel it. But God calls us to stop and enjoy his rest. And he offers this rest to everyone, even though there's the warning. And again, in verse 5, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. In verse 6 and 7, it says, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. And again, he appoints a certain day today saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Remember, we heard that we heard that back in chapter three last week. We heard that two times. We heard that in verse 8 of chapter 3. We heard that in verse 15. Whenever you see something repeated in Scripture, you should pause because it's important. There's an emphasis there. It, it often means there's an, there's an urgency. There's an urgency. Do that. Sometimes you hear Jesus say, truly, truly, I say to you. He's like, listen, listen up. This is something important. This is something you need to get. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your Hearts. If you've been attending church online, if you've been attending here or even attending a small group and listened to the gospel preached, heard the gospel communicated, and you've personally not put your trust in the Lord Jesus, you are in great danger. These people who are being talked about saw God do amazing things. They experienced the burden and hardship of slavery and affliction. We cannot presume upon tomorrow, friends. Today may be the only day you have left. So don't run from the heavy hand of the Lord. That is there as a kindness to you. Don't run from that. Don't wait another day. Turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You can experience a rest now. Yes, we are looking to the day when there will be an absolute rest that we will experience in the presence of Christ, but you are feeling affliction. You may be trying to suppress that with any number of things. Watched a documentary recently of a famous athlete who was famous from the time he was young and acquired great wealth, and he was constantly pursuing rest. He had every pleasure available to him, and he wrecked his life to the point where he got arrested one time because he had taken enough medication to try to get some rest that he blacked out in his car in the middle of the road. He was stopped in the middle of the road. Didn't know he was there because of his pursuit of rest. So we can try to pursue rest in things that will not deliver. We can try. The world gives us all kinds of different things for us to try to pursue. I don't have to fill them all out. You know what they are. They're coming to your mind right now. They're the thing that you go to when things are tough. You're just like, I just need, I need a little bit of this. I need, I need some of that. I need to, maybe if I go and do this thing, maybe I just need to take this day off. Or, but maybe so, there are sometimes we do need to stop and take a day. Don't run to those things. Today, you can enter that rest because it remains. So even if you have found yourself trusting in Christ and there's affliction, we were praying this morning in the prayer meeting. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You can offload that burden. You can offload the burden and follow Jesus for the first time today. And I want to encourage you to talk with someone before you leave here today. So come because that rest is available to all of us. It's available to us regularly. And Jesus leads us into that rest. He leads us into a greater rest because here in verse 8, We learn about Joshua again. Look at verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So David spoke of another day later on. Well, wait a minute. I thought the people of God, the whole deal was for them to enter the promised land, the land of Canaan. So they were here in Egypt. They were delivered into the wilderness and they were going to go to this promised rest and then the people of God, they disobeyed and they all died and only their kids went into the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua and Joshua. Wait a minute. When, if you're reading, we're not there in our Bible reading yet, but when we, when we finish the first five books of the Bible, we're going to jump into Joshua and Joshua's going to take them into the promised land. But why, why isn't that the end of the story? That's not the end of the story because Joshua did not have an eternal rest. Joshua led the nation into a temporary rest. Yes, there was a relief from turmoil. There was a security. God provided victory after victory over their enemies but they still had opposition. Joshua was unable to lead the people of God into true rest. But there is one who does. There is one who can. So look at verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Jesus offers us this rest. 
He offers a bountiful provision. He offers complete security. If you're found in Christ, you can be completely secure. He purchases for us an eternal rest in heaven, one in which the the tears are going to be wiped away. That's, That's the eternal rest that we're looking to, but if you have placed your faith in him, you can know that place is secure. You can stop worrying about that. You don't have to have fear of death. You don't have to have fear of what other people will think about you. You don't have to be afraid. Jesus even told us not to be afraid of what people might do to us. I mean, that's a real thing for us right now. We're wondering what's going on in our country. What about the laws that are being passed in the land? What is that going to mean for us? Some of the anxiety, some of the unrest that we feel isn't from actual persecution that's happened. It's the possibility of what might happen out here. What's going to be happening out there? And it kind of puts us uneasy. Like, what's, what's going to happen? What's going to do? How do, we, how do we find rest? Not by knowing that that bill has been canceled or stopped or passed. By knowing Jesus said, Take heart, I have overcome the world. That's what leads us into the rest. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. So there remains a rest for us, yes, in eternity, but there's a rest that we can experience right now because Jesus leads us into that. Verse 10 says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from the works as God did from his. So whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, obviously, that isn't talking about us, the resting that we're going to be doing in heaven yet, because it's it's right now. We've we've rested. What are the works that we've rested from? We've rested from our need to constantly do things to appease God. We've rested. We don't have to because of what Jesus has done on the cross. I think it's amazing that God f- finished everything in creation and it's finished and he sits powerful on his throne. But how much more even amazing is the truth that Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. So we no longer have to be constantly paranoid about, I've got to make this sacrifice. I've got to do this thing to earn God's favor. No, we can experience his rest Dr. Al Mohler said, the gospel is not morality. The gospel is not external religion, nor is it a seven-step program for obtaining a better life. The gospel is the message of Christ's accomplishments on our behalf so that we might rest from our works by trusting in his work. When we trust in Christ's work, we rest from trusting in our own. Find rest, brothers and sisters. You don't need to do that thing to get accolades from your peers. You can find rest because of what Christ has done. You don't need to do anything to seek their approval because you are approved because of what Christ has done. 
You don't have to constantly wonder. Maybe you had a challenging experience growing up and your parents didn't provide the care and love and encouragement that you had hoped that you would have. All you need to do is look to Christ and know his love for you and that burden to constantly do something for approval can be gone because Jesus leads us into a greater rest than Joshua. And then we come to the last verse of our passage this morning that says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that one may, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. I don't know about you, but when I read that sentence, it at first doesn't make sense to me. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. I often don't think of striving and resting in the same sentence. In fact, apart from reading that there, I don't know that I've ever said them in the same sentence before. Like, wait a minute, is it working or is it resting? Now, let me clarify something first. This striving that's talked about is not calling us to earn our salvation. Okay, I already said, it is finished. Christ has done it. We aren't striving so that God will love us. That's not what we're doing. But striving here, this, the, the word means giving diligence, being eager, pressing in. Pressing into Christ. So, so there's certainly the, the warning that there may be that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So we don't want you to fall, but you don't fall by going, okay, I don't want to fall. I don't want to fall. I want to walk along the edge, and I'm just going to do the best thing I can so not to fall. No. The author wants us to be as far away from the edge as possible because perseverance is actually pressing into Christ. Focusing on what the rest that God offers us. So let us strive to enter his rest. So comprehend the divine rest that God enjoys. Take time to ponder what God means by my rest. Be blessed that you are invited to join in that rest. Rest knowing that God is in control of all things. When your life continues to be flipped, turned upside down, and you can't seem to get it settled, and you're like, well, maybe if we get around the corner, and you get around the corner, and there seem to be three other things that fall apart in your life, just rest knowing that God's in control of all things. So focus on his rest. There's nothing outside of his sovereign rule. He's the one who parted the seas, remember? He's the one who brought water from the rock. He's the one who fed his people. He's the one who conquered death. Rest knowing, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ worked and lived perfectly so that you don't have to experience the condemnation for having not lived perfectly. So focus on the rest that God offers. Trust in the God who gives rest. Remember, believe and trust. When we come to Christ, we find this salvation rest, the peace with God that's talked about in Romans chapter 5. So you have peace with God when you come to Christ. But yet when we yield our lives to him, so you have peace with God. There's no more the separation between you and God. 
But then the experience of that rest happens as we obey him, submitting ourselves to God. That's the peace of God that we experience. The peace of God that's talked about in Philippians chapter 4. When you're anxious, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It's us entrusting ourselves to him, seeking to obey him. Oh, how many times I have counseled friends who have experienced hardship after hardship because of their disobedience. How I've even seen in my life where there were seasons where I didn't seek to obey God and there was just constant affliction. There was no rest in my life. There was nothing I could do. How much rest comes when we seek to obey God? We experienced rest through obedience. And we experience this rest as we work out our faith in community. Look at verse 1. Let us fear. Verse 2. For the good news came to us. Verse 3. For we. Verse 11. Let us This isn't an author who is saying, do this on your own. This is an author saying, this is going to be worked out. This is something we all benefit from. We should work this out in community. We have a responsibility for the spiritual welfare of those around us. Now, this is not an invitation for us to be destructively meddling in people's lives but there should be an upbuilding of one another because we know James says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know what that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There's a lot of rest that our friends can have when we go and we rescue them. There's a lot of rest that I've experienced when I've had loving friends pursue me. We're part of a unit together. I was reminded of a story one author recalled. He said, days, his days, he was recalling his days as an officer in the, an officer in the United States Army. Every uh, morning, early, all the units would be out doing physical fitness training. Hundreds of little units running in formation, often for long periods of time until the men were utterly exhausted. You could tell everything you needed to know about the morale and the leadership, even the combat effectiveness of a unit by the way they ran in formation. A good unit was all together. If they had to slow the pace a little bit, there was a mutual encouragement going on. If a man fell out, and that is the very language of this verse. If a man was exhausted or dispirited and lagged behind, a good unit would turn around to retrieve him, to exhort him, and bring back his determination. Not being a particularly gifted, long-distant runner, this author said he could remember times when he thought he could go no further, but was virtually carried by the encouragement of my fellow soldiers until my legs regained their strength. That's why it's like to be part of a real team. That's what it's like. Like to be a part of the local church. Because our legs get weary. 
and we feel like we can't hold them up. But let us, let us encourage one another. Let us strive, therefore, together. Let us be on the lookout for those who are struggling. Let us be humble and open about the things that we are struggling with so that we can hear the gospel afresh and endure. Because we're still in the wilderness. We're still in the wilderness. But Jesus makes an offer, and Wes read it earlier. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Your action is coming to him. It's not working something up to try to generate rest. It's not trying to achieve something to get rest. Your action is coming to Christ. So if you're in financial need, know that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills from Psalm 50. If you're trapped in sin, Jesus' blood covers that sin. If you confess it from 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're overwhelmed by the state of current events, he has overcome the world. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He says, come to me. Our experience of rest, brothers and sisters, is proportionate to our trusting in him. And yes, we are looking to that day when the effort We'll not need to be there because we'll see him face to face. We won't have to wrestle with trying to be reminded of who God is because his glory is going to light up everything in that place. When we, our, our eyes are open, we will see him. We will see his benefits. We will see his wonder. We won't be distracted by the things of this world. We'll be set free from the afflictions that we feel right now. But until that day, he calls us to come to him. Few Christians have lived as stressful a life as Hudson Taylor, who founded the China Inland Mission. But Hudson Taylor was known as a man who lived in God's rest. His son once said this about him. He said, day and night, this was his secret. Just to roll the burden on the Lord. Frequently, those who were wakeful in the little house at Qingqiang might hear at two or three in the morning the soft refrain of Mr. Taylor's favorite hymn, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. He had learned that for him, only one life was possible. 
Just that blessed life of resting and rejoicing in the Lord under all circumstances while he dealt with the difficulties inward and outward, great and small. St. Augustine wrote, Our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. So brothers and sisters, as we anticipate the eternal rest, which will be absolutely amazing, we can experience rest now by coming to Christ, by being reminded of our great God and where he sits. We can take that regular time to focus on him because the other stuff doesn't deliver, but focusing on Christ, focusing on our sovereign God, you will find rest happening because you're going to turn your eyes off of that which is going to pass away and you're going to turn your eyes to the one who was and is and is to come. And you can come to that heavenly father because of what Jesus has done. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. May we find rest, brothers and sisters. Our rest is not going to be found in turning the corner, in the next thing happening that we want to happen. That's not what rest is going to happen. We get rest right now in the midst of where you're at because you can come to Christ when you know who he is and what he has done. Let's rest in him. Let's pray. Father, as your saint from ages past said, our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. Father, I pray that this morning and this week and this next month and this next year, God would be marked by rest for us. Lord, I don't believe that things are getting easier. I believe they're getting worse. The turmoil just seems to be hitting us like wave after wave. But my prayer, God, is that we would experience rest like Hudson Taylor, that we'd experience the peace that Christ experienced as he he made sure that he got away to be alone with you, even if that meant praying all night long. Lord, would we seek the rest where it is to be found, and that's to be found in you. Pray for those who are here this morning, if they've never entered into your rest, that they would trust in Christ. If that's you this morning, you can pray right where you're at. You can pray tonight when you get home, but, but don't wait another day. So I pray, God, for your rest. Lord, rejuvenate us. Strengthen us. We have much to do for your glory, and we need to do it in your strength and not our own. So would you give rest to our souls, give rest to our bodies, and may that bring glory to your name as we trust in you. We ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Why don't we stand and respond, or maybe you need to Sit and respond wherever the Lord uh, is meeting you right now.